Rick Canada is not only one of the former pastors from here at First Presbyterian, I had the privilege to serve as his assistant, and Rick was more than just a senior pastor when I was an assistant, but he's been a personal mentor since I first met Rick when I was in high school. But also, he's uh, Chancellor Emeritus of uh, Reformed Theological Seminary, and uh, so he's no stranger to this pulpit. Uh, With him is John Sowell, the president of Reformed Seminary in Atlanta. We welcome you back, Rick and John, here with us this morning. And it's good to be back. I see a number of faces that are new to me, and some that probably should not be new to me, but look a little different than they did at one time. Um, It's always good to be here, and for those of you who uh, were not here when I was here, please pardon me to give a little report to those who were on family and situation. We are doing well. We moved back to Jackson, Mississippi uh, in 2009 after 15 years in Charlotte, and uh, that's my home, as many of you will remember, and our kids and grandkids are there. We have uh, seven grandchildren uh, from 22 years old down to four years old. Uh, The oldest two are in college at Ole Miss, and uh, lots of girls, two grandsons, lots, five granddaughters, along with my two daughters, Cece and Christy, and you know, they're doing well. And they would send you their greetings and love. Uh, Rachel, uh, I describe her these days as a professional, full-time grandmother carpooler. So she is busy with all those little ones, helping out and going all different kinds of directions, but she would send your her, your, you, her greetings and love as well. And it is good to be with you today. I'm, I'm going to uh, ask John Sowell, if you'll stand so you can recognize him. John is the president of our RTS campus in Atlanta, and he'll be standing over here on the way out. I'll be in the back uh, uh, if you want to speak to him. Uh, uh, we're so grateful for John and his leadership of, of RTS uh, in Atlanta. And we do invite you to come this evening and to hear more about what the Lord is doing at RTS, near and far, Uh, near just up the road in Atlanta and teaching classes here in Macon as well, and even as far away as Indonesia. I'll say more about that in a few minutes. And also as you leave today, there are some magazines. We're celebrating the 50th anniversary, it's hard to believe, of Reformed Theological Seminary. And there's some magazines in the back and out these doors in the front. We hope you'll pick one up. This is sort of our 50th anniversary edition. And uh, be encouraged by what the Lord has done. Now, if you'll turn in your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 11. You know about the Great Commission. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them. Lo, I'm with you always to the end of the age. You know about the great commandment to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, to love our neighbors as ourselves. Well, here is the great invitation from Christ. Come unto me, all you who are labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. It's a great passage of Scripture. But I want you to notice a couple of things about this passage before we look at it. Uh, it comes in the context earlier, back up in verse 20, of Jesus condemning the cities of his day, where he was performing miracles and doing great works, Chorazin, Bethsaida, 
And he said to those cities, it's going to be worse for you on the day of judgment than for those especially wicked cities in the Old Testament, like Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, he didn't say it's going to be good for Sodom and Gomorrah then, it's going to be bad for them too, but it's going to be even worse for the cities in Jesus' day who saw so much more, had such more light and information, saw the Lord Jesus himself and turned to what? It'll be worse for them on the day of judgment than Sodom and Gomorrah. It's in that context that we come to this passage before us, and first we're going to read a prayer of Jesus and then an invitation from Jesus. First the prayers we read in Matthew 11, beginning in verse 25, hear the word of the living God. And at that time Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. In this church, a Reformed Presbyterian Church, we believe in the sovereignty of God. We talked about it when I was here. I know Chip does regularly too. And we love that doctrine, the truth that God is sovereign and sovereign even in our salvation. It says in Ephesians 1, He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. In love, He predestined us to adoption as His sons through Jesus Christ. And at times when we hear that, we, we're a little concerned about perhaps how that fits in with missions and evangelism. And it does, of course. God ordained the ends as well as means to the ends. And we think of the Apostle Paul. He was not seeking God when he was converted. He was seeking to put Christians in jail and kill them. God sought him. God chose him and went after him and saved him and then used him to save others. God saves us and then uses us to be his witnesses to others. Not in spite of this doctrine of the sovereignty of God and our salvation, but because of it. And this is one of the amazing things that Jesus says here. Did you notice it in his prayer? This sovereignty of God and our salvation right here before his great invitation. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and reveal them to little children. For such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. That's strong language. That's language we see in other parts of Scripture about predestination, election, God's choice. It's those whom... The Son chooses to reveal him who understand, who have their ears open, their eyes open, who see and respond to the gospel. And yet, having prayed that prayer, he turns around and invites people to come. But he knows those 
will come whom the Father has chosen. He works in their hearts. That's what Paul said. The greatest missionary ever, the Apostle Paul, was a missionary not in spite of his belief in the sovereignty of God, but because of it. That's exactly what he says in 2 Timothy 1. He says, why do I do all this? Why do I even go to the point of imprisonment for the sake of the gospel? He says, I do it for the sake of the elect, that they may have the salvation that's in Christ Jesus. We don't know who the elect are, who they are. Only God knows. But he does open the hearts of people as we share the gospel, as we invite them to come. And even as Jesus prays and praises God, for revealing the truth to some, he invites us to come. It's a great invitation. And I want to make one point. I know that's unusual for a preacher. And for some of you who remembered me as a preacher, that's unusual for me as a preacher too. But I only have one point to make, really, out of this passage. And it's something that I missed for many years. Uh, when I read this passage in the past, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. I'm gentle and lowly of heart. I, I had this picture in my mind of a single yoke of an oxen or a horse pulling a, a wagon or maybe pulling a plow, but a, a single horse in a single yoke. And a friend of mine pointed out to me a few years ago now that's not what Jesus is talking about. Uh, the fellow that taught me this, a fellow named Tom Nelson, I know through the Gospel Coalition, he's a pastor in the Midwest. He grew up on a farm, and when he was a little boy, they still used some horses and some oxen to pull some wagons and things. And, and he said he remembered there seeing not so much the single yoke, but the double yoke. And very often saw what he called a training yoke where you would put an experienced horse or experienced oxen teamed up with a new one, a young one, who was learning from the more experienced one how to do the work, how to pull, how to pull in such a way that it didn't hurt, that, that it, you kind of worked together well, and, and the, the experienced one would train the younger one. And he said, that's the picture here. And when you look at it, you begin to see, well, yeah, that does seem the picture to be the picture here. Do you see what he says? Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I always had this picture of, when he says that, you know, the, 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 the yoke is easy, the burden is light, maybe he puts a cushion on the yoke, you know, so it doesn't feel as hard or hurt as much, or, or maybe when the burden is light, it's just not much in the wagon you're pulling. Uh, but that's not the picture here of me as a single person, you as a single person in a yoke pulling this cart, this heavy burden, and maybe it's lighter because of Jesus. No, he says, come and take my yoke upon you, he says, and learn from me. Come and get in this double yoke with me. You know, a, a yoke is like a McDonald's sign turned upside down. You know, and, and then they put the bar across the top of the yoke for a double yoke, and you're, you're pulling together. What a picture. Come and join me, he says. I, I love some of the things that Tom Nelson says about this. He talks about seeing two 
horses or oxen pulling together as a team, as a child. He said, pulling large loads with such a synergy and grace that made me as a young boy stand in a kind of suspended awe at seeing how they worked together. He talks about our relationship with Jesus in that way, as, as a, in, a, in, a, in a double yoke, that we work together and it becomes therefore an easier yoke, a, a, a training yoke. He talked about the fact that in a, in a training yoke, an experienced ox or horse had a heavier portion of the yoke that also required to do him, for him to do more of the pulling, while the new ox was mainly there just to walk alongside and to learn just how to stay in line. Even though the young horse didn't have a clue what he was doing, yoked with the mature horse, he would learn and in time would become just like the mature horse. The weight of the affliction begins to shift to his shoulders. Jesus pulls much more than his share of the load, although we do face some afflictions in his name. And he goes on to say this. He says, the young ox is used to unbridled, selfish pursuits. Would want to go off the path when he saw green grass. The mature ox would pull him back and keep him on course. When the young ox entered the yoke, he left an old way of life and submitted to a new master that would train him the young ox would get to intimately know the other ox and learn everything that the older one knew. In the course of time, the young ox would become like the mature ox. What a picture. Paul's in an apprenticeship with Jesus. And in this apprenticeship, in this yoke, we experience the life we were designed to live, the life that the gospel makes possible for us. Those of us who enter Jesus' yoke become more and more like him. Or as Eugene Peterson says, we learn with Jesus the rhythms of his grace. What a picture. And then he goes on to say this. In Christ's yoke, we stand eyeball to eyeball with the master. What (laughs) What a description. Standing eyeball to eyeball with Jesus. The master. In this yoke, our heart's affections change, and Jesus recalibrates the setting of our life compass. Without Jesus' yoke, we experience desperation of the soul. Here is an invitation to be yoked with Him, to learn from Him, to become like Him, and to experience true wholeness of soul in Him. It's a picture. Much better picture than my picture of the single yoke. This double yoke. Now, this doesn't mean that we earn our salvation. We know that. We're saved by grace through faith alone in Christ. But he does call us to follow him, to be his disciples, to learn from him, to learn from the right way to live, the, the, the way of life that is easy, not a burden. We want to do things our own way, and it causes so much heartache and difficulty and trouble instead of doing it his way. And here he's calling us to join in his yoke, to team up with him. Let him be our guide, our master, to walk eyeball to eyeball with him, to learn from him, to learn to be like him. What a picture. What an invitation to come to Jesus. And this church has been very faithful in offering that invitation through the years to come to Jesus. You've done it here in this community, all parts of this community. And you've 
done it through supporting missions in a big way, missionaries all over the world, and you've done it through supporting Reformed Theological Seminary. I had some of our people check this week and notice that over the years, this congregation's given almost $750,000 to RTS. And that's just formally through the church. Sure, the members here together have given even more than that again. And we're grateful. And it's a part of your mission effort. Uh, so I mentioned this is the 50th anniversary of RTS. And uh, one of the things I wanted to do this weekend is not only to celebrate that with you, but give you a little bit of a report on your investment. I think it's a good investment. I've often said about RTS through the years, um, a lot of good things to support today, and there are. But it's hard to think of anything more important than Reform Seminary because of the leveraged impact of training leaders for the church. And leaders here, uh, Jim Baird, former pastor, is up, served a long time, is still does as a board member for RTS. Gordon Reed, when he left to pastor it here, went to teach for RTS. When I left here, I went to work for RTS, uh, was a pastor for 20 years, the last seven years here, and then with RTS over 20 years. And, uh, and your pastors here are RTS grads, whether it's Chip or, or John Kinzer, Justin, Andy, people in the Presbytery, Tom Anderson, Paul Bankson, Hunter Stevenson. Actually, you could look at the Presbytery list of St. George Presbytery. There are twice as many graduates of RTS as are any other seminary ministers in this Presbytery. Now, there's some other good seminaries, and I praise the Lord for them. We need them, but no seminary has impacted this area like RTS has. And uh, particularly now with our Atlanta campus. Now, again, you could look at presbyteries all across the South and see the same way, but we've gone to these different regions and areas to impact the area. Uh, Jackson, Orlando, Charlotte, Washington, D.C., Memphis, Houston, our latest campus with Tim Keller in New York City, Manhattan, never dreamed we'd be up there, but right here in Atlanta, people like Chuck and the staff here, graduated from there, and Justin. I just found out about a new one this morning, Drew Archer. Comes out of Iris and her family here and graduated from Atlanta campus. And, uh, John was talking earlier about uh, McGinnis. Uh, what's his first? Stephen McGinnis, who kind of came through Mercer in here, and now is the RUF minister at, at Emory. The, the, and there's so many others that you have sent to RTS out of this congregation that have gone on as pastors and missionaries. There's just a lot of connection. And I just want to emphasize that you have been a big part of what RTS is. You've been one of the major churches, certainly, that has supported RTS through the years and enabled us on your behalf and on Christ's behalf to offer this invitation all around our country and all around the world. Coming to me, coming to Christ, find rest. And one of the things I wanted to share with you a little bit for your encouragement this morning is some of what the Lord is doing uh, in Indonesia. Uh, some of you were in Sunday school and heard some of it, and I apologize for a little repetition for you, but it is encouraging. 
what the Lord has enabled RTS to do in Indonesia and through your support and the support of others like you. I got involved in Indonesia about seven years ago. Actually, there were a number of RTS students from Indonesia that went back and started several seminaries and churches there and would get some of our professors to come teach. So when I became chancellor of RTS, they contacted me and wanted me to come teach, and I said no. I wasn't interested. It was a long way. It was a terrorist country in my mind, and I had plenty to do here with all these campuses. But I ended up on the board of something called the World Reform Fellowship. We were having a board meeting there in the spring of 09. So I contacted one of these seminaries and said, I'm coming anyway. If you want me to come ahead of time and teach for you, I will. And taught this little seminary, good seminary, a couple hundred students. And the president and the academic dean are Indonesians who graduated from RTS. And it was through them that I met a man named James Riotti and his wife, Eileen. What an encouragement. Whenever I share this, the word I hear the most from people is so encouraging So because we're, we're so discouraged about what's going on in our own country in so many ways. But the Lord is at work. James Riotti came from a Buddhist background, ethnic Chinese, although Indonesian for several generations, and wealthy, wealthy businessman. When he became a Christian, he's the kind of guy who's serious about whatever he does. He decided he's going to go to seminary. And the seminary he went to was this seminary headed up by RTS grads. They were the ones that mentored him and taught him. I met him through those through that seminary, and when I met him, he had all these ministries going and asked me to help. I, he didn't know me, but I was head of the American seminary that trained the people that trained him. And so I helped him informally for several years, and when I became emeritus with RTS, I agreed to go over twice a year, and then it was four times a year, and now it's six times a year. And it's a long way to Indonesia, but it's worth it. They have a Christian university with over 16,000 students. Now, think about that. This is the largest Muslim population country in the world. I didn't even know where it was the first time I went. I had to pick up a map before I got on the plane. I knew it was in Asia somewhere, but it's, it's the largest Muslim population country. Well, actually, it's the fourth largest population country in the world, period. China, India, U.S., and then Indonesia, 250 million people, 17,000 islands. If you put a map of Indonesia over a map of the U.S., it's wider than the U.S. is. Not as much land mass, but it's four time zones. 85% Muslim. So there are more Muslims in Indonesia than in all the Middle East countries put together. Think about that. And yet the Christian church is strong there. And, and the Reformed church is strong. I just wonder why in the world the Reformed church was so strong until I read some of their history and then it hit me, you know. They were a Dutch colony for 350 years. So they had all this history of Dutch Calvinism, and they overthrew the colonial government, but they, there's a residual appreciation for Reformed theology. So these people put their money where their mouth is, and they have this Christian university that really is a Reformed university. Only one, I only know of two in the world that are large, multi-thousand student, comprehensive universities. 
with a med school, law school, teachers, college, all the rest. One is in Sao Paulo, Brazil, that we work closely with down there, but the other one is not in the U.S., and it's not in Europe, it's in Jakarta, Indonesia. 5,000 freshmen this year. And every one of them takes 18 hours of Bible and theology. Amazing. Uh, 55 K-12 through Christian schools. About 20,000 students now in those schools. Three different levels socioeconomically. Top-level schools, international schools that are facilities are better than FPD or Stratford or any school here. All in English. So if you know or if you yourself are interested in teaching overseas, what a deal. The largest Muslim population country in the world. You don't have to learn the language. You can teach in English. And you don't have to raise support because they're going to pay you a good salary and benefits and a plane ticket back and forth for a two-year commitment. What a deal. But we work with people there, some of the wealthiest in the world, all the way down to some of the poorest in the world. And not only in schools, but in hospitals. They have now 25 large Christian hospitals, the size of these hospitals here, so they're brand new, state-of-the-art, modern hospitals, best equipment in the world. They will open up eight to 10 brand new hospitals that size this year, new ones. They'll open up five to 10 a year from now. They have their own medical school and nursing school training Christian doctors and nurses for those hospitals. They had a freshman class in the teacher's college of 500. They had a freshman class in the nursing school of 500. The scale is incredible. And uh, now we're starting churches over there as well. Starting a PCA-type denomination. I got approved as an evangelist out of Mississippi Valley Presbytery. Finally transferred my membership from Central Georgia to Mississippi where I was living and they've set me up and we have a congregation there on Sunday morning. Ligon Duncan, the new chancellor of RTS, was with me over there just a couple of weeks ago. He preached at our daughter church a thousand miles away one Sunday and then the next Sunday preached at the university where our mother church is and Came back home. I didn't think about it until he was telling some people. He got back home. He said, last week I preached in the largest church congregation part of Mississippi Valley Presbytery, and it was in Jakarta, Indonesia. First Pres Jackson might have 1,500 people on a Sunday morning, maybe 2,000 on Easter. We have every week over 4,000 in our con- three services in our congregation at the university there. Most of them students in the teacher's college or the nursing school who are going to be missionaries in these Christian schools and hospitals all over Indonesia. It's amazing what the Lord is doing there. Again, from the top of the society to the bottom of the society. For instance, many of you heard like I have from the time I was a little boy about the mission field in Papua New Guinea. And in Papua, Papua New Guinea and Papua are two sides of the same island. The western uh, part, Papua, is part of Indonesia. And in those mountains are some of the most primitive people left in the world. A 
two weeks ago, I had the privilege of taking Ligon in to see one village, all these villages, hundreds of them up in these mountains that are so isolated, the only way you can get in there today is with these little missionary airplanes. And you land on a, a runway that's made on the side of the hill. There's no flat ground, just a grass runway. You learn, you, you ride, you, you land going uphill. In fact, we had some jet pilots with us the first time I went in, and, and one of the jet pilots said to the other after we landed, that's the first time I've ever landed in an airplane that we had to speed up to get to the end of the runway. Because, you, you know, you land, you have to speed up to be sure to get to the top so you're ready to come back down. Uh, it's amazing. One of the villages we were in just two weeks ago, that village, those people had zero contact with the outside world until the year 2000. None. They didn't know anybody else was in the world. The missionaries found them. There are many more like that in those mountain areas. Went in, lived with them, learned their language, translated the Bible, began a church there. Now, last month, we, working with those missionaries, started a school. We got to see those kids school for the first time learning scripture, singing songs to the Lord, and a little medical clinic. That particular village, the mortality rate for children up to two years old, when the missionaries went in in 2000, was 75%. Three out of four of the children would die before they were two, so that the parents would not give their children a name until they were two years old thought they might live. Amazing. Now we've got a clinic in there, real doctor and some nurses out of the med school, and, uh, school building. It's just the privilege of seeing what the Lord is doing. And then on the other end, I mentioned in the Sunday school hour, I've had the privilege of being personally at least four times over the last probably 18 months with the governor of the largest Muslim population city in the world. It's so big, they don't talk about the mayor, they talk about the governor. It's like its own, treat it like its own state. Jakarta, Indonesia, 25 million people. The governor, his nickname is Ahok, A-H-O-K, when he is asked publicly to describe his philosophy, what guides him and his governing and all that he does, his stock answer, I've heard him give it several times, is, I am a Calvinist. Not just I'm a Christian, I'm a Calvinist. I believe what Calvin taught about influencing every part of society. Honesty and integrity, getting rid of corruption. How in the world can a committed Christian like that become governor of the largest Muslim population city in the world. His wife graduated from the university we work with. His kids go to one of the Christian schools we work with. That's a long story. The Lord put him in there. And it's amazing to see what he's doing. I, I, I share that with you. It could go on and on and on with more and more stories for your encouragement. Maybe the least likely place in the world for God to be at work, <laughs> Indonesia, the largest Muslim population country in the world, and yet 
He's at work there, doing great things, doing a lot of great things through this family that were mentored and taught by RTS grads who were supported by this church, people like you, be encouraged. We spread that invitation, come to me, that you might have rest. We spread it here. You do. Grateful for you, all that you do. And we spread it up the road through RTS Atlanta. We spread it through other missionaries around the world, and I never thought I'd be over there in Indonesia. What a privilege to see that invitation being spread there as well. And the Lord opening hearts to respond. But let me turn it back around before we leave today and put that invitation back to you personally. Have you responded to the invitation from Christ to come to him? Is your soul still burdened with your sin? The heartache and difficulty of your life, what you've done, what you've left undone? And come to Christ. Pray that he will open your eyes and your heart today. See your need, your need of a Savior. That you'll believe in him for forgiveness of your sins. That you will come to follow him. And that you will come and share that yoke with him. He says, take my yoke upon you and come in this yoke with me and learn from me how to live, the right way to live, the way of life and blessing and joy, peace. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Will you come to him? Let's pray together. Father, what a great invitation. Thank you for the history of this church and its faithfulness through the pulpit, through its teaching ministry, through its missionary support to spread that word of invitation around this community and around the world. And I pray for any here who have not yet responded that you would open their hearts and minds to hear and to see and to come to Christ today. Father, I pray that you continue to bless this church and its ministry. Continue to bless Reformed Theological Seminary. Near and far, up the road in Atlanta, courses being taught here in Macon from time to time. And Lord, thank you and praise you and continue to bless the work of RTS grads and those influenced by them in Indonesia, of all places. Thank you for that ministry and that encouragement. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.